Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Tara Beth Leach, a pastor at Christ Church of Oak Brook and author of Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness. Uh, Tara, welcome to the program. Hey, Josh. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Now, let's let's just begin with the first word in the book's title, because it's a word that permeates the entire book. If we don't know what you mean by the word radiant, then we don't really know what you're talking about. So when you speak of a radiant church, what does radiance mean to you? Yeah. So to me, radiance is rooted in scripture in the very beginning. And we see God's covenant unfolding beginning with Abram when he calls this nomad, this wanderer. And he says, you know, Abram, go to this land that you don't know. It's, it's going to be new. And then he makes promises. And he says, Abram, look at the stars in the sky. If, if you can count them, that will be your offspring. That will be your generation. And we see this continuation unfolding of, of a multitude of people that later we see that in the covenants unfold that they are to be a holy people. Uh, they to, are to be a people that follows God. They are to be a faithful people and faithfulness and loving God and want, loving one another. Uh, they are to be a righteous people, righteous to God and righteous to one another. And in so doing that, in the Old Testament, we see that when they live in the ways of God and faithfulness and obedience, that the world would take notice and they'd be able to say, ah, that's what your God is like. And then we see this entire story culminate um, in the person of Jesus, this great, awesome, epic climax um, as Jesus comes and enters into the story, fully God, a fully human. And he, he fulfills this entire story by being the Holy One, the new Adam, the new Israel. He teaches exactly what this obedience and faithfulness and righteousness is to look like he teaches and he shows us exactly what this love is to look like and he declares he says not only does he declare himself as light of the world but he declares god's people as light of the world that the people of god who live in the ways of jesus who imitate the ways of jesus would be light and radiant that they would be like a city on a hill that the world would take notice in their holiness and their righteousness and their love and their beauty and that they would be able to catch a glimpse of this inbreaking kingdom of God that Jesus has come to establish, that they would be able to catch a glimpse of this radiant community and that they would be drawn in and captivated. And that is our call today, that we, the church, who Jesus promised that the, the gates of hell would not prevail um, that we would be the light of the world, that we would be a Sermon on the Mount community, that we would live in such a way that we would shine radiant and that the world would be captivated uh, by Jesus through us. Mm-hmm. I, re- I, just, I really like that term of radiant because to me it has this connotation of like an indwelling light or an indwelling presence because something that is radiant is something that is like it's like shining out from within. I think we talk a lot about, you know, like reflecting or like we, we are the image because we're the image of God. And that kind of that kind of brings into mind the idea of, of like reflection and the way that we we mirror uh, God and his character. Or, uh, but 
radiant is like it, it's, it's another facet of that it's the holy spirit working inside of us to to shine his light out of us um so it, it's a, it's a perfect it's the perfect word to use to explain what it is that we're trying to get at as individuals and as church communities now the second word in the title uh, that I wanted to focus on just by way of introduction is is this idea of credibility. It's re- restoring our credibility. Um, so you wrote this book because you feel like the church has lost its credibility with the world. Walk me through the events that you fe- that you feel led us to this point of lacking credibility. Yeah, well. To be credible is to be true, is to be trustworthy, is to be honest, is to be who we say we are, is to do what we say we will do, um, is to live what we say we will believe. And many who are watching the church today um, aren't seeing that. There's been a loss of credibility. Uh, We have seen an outpouring of confessions of those who are leaving the church, who are frustrated with the church, and for good reason. What they're observing is there's many young people are saying, what you taught me to believe in Sunday school is not not credible through your witness. Um, It's a devastating reality that so many are watching the people of God in Christ who are called to be radiant. Um, being exposed in so many devastating ways. And yes, of course, like there are so many Christians around the globe that are are living it. Um, but currently right now, what I am talking about is I am talking about what is historically known as white evangelicalism in the United States of America. I am a child of white evangelicalism, um, a pastor in what has historically been white evangelicalism. And the credibility of our witness um, has been exposed. It's been lost. It's diminished. And we've got to press in and we've got to be honest and we've got to open ourselves up uh, to what has caused us to lose this credibility, which includes things like a long history um, and being complicit uh, with a very racist history in our country. It includes a long history of of hitching ourselves to the powers of this world and say, believing that the kingdom of God is going to be established or inaugurated through, say, a political party. It is a long history of power being misused and abused and then covered up. And so... There are many that see this. You can't fool the kids. And there are many that are seeing it and that are frustrated and are leaving. And I believe that, you know, this isn't it. Like, we don't just throw in a towel and say, oh, man, everybody's just so terrible. No, like, I believe that we have an opportunity to to be participants in healing for God to transform us from the inside out and to see the renewal and revival of our generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so true that, and this is my experience, and uh, in, in having talked with with other church leaders like yourself, this this view of American white 
American evangelicalism has sort of always been tied in modern times uh, to political power uh, and, and probably not so modern times as well. If you trace the history of evangelicalism, it has yes, always right. been tied right. to a right. secular political yeah. power. I mean, we can trace our roots all the way back to Constantine. Mm-hmm. Right. And that that was sort of veiled until maybe 2016, maybe maybe a little earlier than that. But I think that was that was the moment. And I'll you know I'll, I'll just be as blunt as I can with it, uh, with the election of of Donald Trump as president, and seeing that many evangelicals, white evangelicals, um, put their political power behind someone whose life did not seem to express Christian values. And then, and then an administration that had many policies that did not reflect Christian values. Um, to, to me, having worked in the church and particularly worked with, with, you know, high schoolers during that period of time, that was the biggest moment of disconnect. Like, like up until that point, then, then the, the connection to political power was obviously was, was, it was, it was always there. I mean, you have the moral majority, uh, you have, uh, all the associate evangelical association with Reagan. What do you think was the, what made 2016 and Donald Trump the tipping point to make so many people say, this, this is, this is a step too far? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so I think if you think back all the way to, say, Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky scandal, it was the evangelicals that were standing up and saying, he is, you know, too immoral, too unfit um, to be president, that we don't want this kind of sexual um, immorality in the Oval Office. You know, we just we can't have this. We detest this. Meanwhile, um, the pre- the the man who was running for president um, is talking about grabbing women inappropriately is um, is women are coming forward and saying some rather concerning things. And from prominent evangelical white leaders, what we heard was deafening silence. Um, again, credibility. Um, and what we saw is that there was some inconsistencies and that a political party was so entrenched with a, um, well, with evangelicalism that there was just no way to step out or detach ourselves in such a way and say, you know, maybe we ought to look at this. Maybe we ought to talk about this. Um, and maybe we, 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 we ought to, uh, pull ourselves away from this and, you know, recognize that, you know, the, the, the kingdom of God is, is not going to be established through a political president. Not only that, but further, um, what's happened with evangelicals is that particular political president uh, became a representative. Um, and many of those, you know, evangelical leaders that we saw on TV 
uh, let's go with James Dobson, let's go with Franklin Graham, um, who were defending him, was very confusing for a lot of Christians uh, and baffling. And uh, for many, it was a it was a turning point of they were done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you when you write this book, and this this is one thing that I kept coming back to as I was reading it, is that this is a great message to the evangelical church. That's right. But as I look around at where the white evangelical church is, I don't even know if they believe their credibility needs to be restored. No, no, no. So so I I have upset two people groups um, in here, okay? And so, which I kind of do, like... It just seems like all throughout my ministry, like I upset everyone. Um, but so, okay, so let's talk about those who feel like, you know, what like, and, and frankly, like I, some, many of them will never read this book. They see the title and um, they're angry because they're tired of, of all of us young people critiquing the church. Um, and I heard that constantly. I got messages, comments from people. What's with all this negativity with the church? Just leave us alone. There's nothing to critique here. There's nothing to see. And that's always been the narrative, and that's the problem. Everything's fine. Everyone move along here. Nothing to see. Don't touch the status quo. Um, so that's one group. And then there's another people group who who is understandably so hurting and will say to me, you have just a real utopian view of the church, and I just can't see that ever happening. Uh, that's that's just impossible. And so, I'm, you know, for me, I'm holding an attention with this book. Like, in one sense, like, my heart is lamenting. Uh, my heart is heavy. And I am, you know, so concerned for the credibility of our witness. And on the other sense, I love the church. I love the church, and I believe the vision of the church that Jesus gives us in scripture. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's telling because in this book, you are not like, you're not mean, you're not rude. You're not even, I, I, I wouldn't even use the word confrontational in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're just, yeah. you're just pointed. Uh, you specifically yeah. say that your critique is of white evangelicalism. Yeah. And yeah. then you you don't call them out, uh, and I'll even say us. You don't call us out. I still consider myself evangelical, in in a a sense of that word, not in not in the sense that it has come to me. Um, and you're just saying this is the way church should be. This is what the church should be doing. This is what the people of Jesus should be, how they should be acting. And I feel like that if if your reaction to that is to say, uh, this is this is a critique of us, then, well, you really need to take a look at what you're saying. Because, you know, what, what you're offering is more of a positive view. And if you don't believe that your church looks like this, then why, you know, why, why doesn't it? What do you, what do you see it looking like instead? Right. 
Um, right, right. You know, and you know, and for me, I I am a local church pastor, mm-hmm. and so for me, like this conversation um, is always, 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 always going to be holding the prophetic and the pastoral intention. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some that might have the writing style that might be like intensely confrontational and lean heavily on the prophetic. But for me, like I also know like the the very people that I'm critiquing are real people, people that I know, people that I love, people that I care about. And so as a shepherd, I'm concerned about I I constantly think about how can I meet them where they are and bring them along. Mm -hmm. I know that there have been times uh where i've been told well this person isn't going to listen why do you keep speaking out like why do you keep and the answer is because there are other people who are listening to that conversation yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it i i posted something on social media i don't know yesterday um that was you know something along the lines of i'm a pastor and i'm sorry because I know what that means to you and I know what that represents. And I'm sorry for my own participation in the harm that so many have experienced. And of course there were some that were angry saying, Oh, here we go again. You know, someone else like critiquing and we've got nothing to apologize about, but, but for many, that was really important for them to hear a pastor say, I'm sorry. Like we've missed the mark. Yeah. For others. Yeah. The the critique the critique does need to come from inside the house, as it were. It absolutely does. Yep, that's right. Like that's the, right. The, those those outside the house need to hear the criticism coming from inside the house. But that it, that's it, it's, right. It's such that's a hard right, thing because what we what we've seen consistently, what we have seen over the past few years, is that those in the house who speak up and speak out are ultimately put outside the house. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're recording this. It is June 3rd. And, you know, a couple of days ago, um, um, I, I should have written this down. Russell Moore, I blanked on his name for a second, uh, announced yeah. that he's, you know, not only is he resigning from the ERLC, uh, but he's also personally uh, leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and that's, as a direct result of him standing up to uh, and speaking out against yeah. many of the things that the SBC has been doing and their political yeah. machinations and alliances and, and so on. How, yeah. uh, how do you balance being part of something and speaking yeah. out against it I don't even know. I don't even know yeah. where this question is going. This is I'm I'm off my script here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you, no, like, like I've been I've been there, and I feel like that that you've been there. Um, there's there's a there's, and I guess if you're listening to this, then I just want you to know that there are so many pastors who are trying to navigate this tension of yeah, they are in the denomination that they are in. They are in the faith tradition that they are in because of what they believe. And That's they right. are trying to reconcile with how other people who say they believe the same things are not acting those beliefs out in that manner. Yeah. Um, 
how how do you go about balancing that tension of trying to say i i am an evangelical christian i belong to this group um but also stay within it yeah yeah well i think first of all the choice to stay within it it also must be the choice to not stay silent I think that, you know, the choice to stay within it and know that things are wrong and things aren't right and that we're causing a lot of harm, but also be silent is to be complicit. And so I think that we need to find the balance and do our part to speak into what we see and to do our part to help be part of the healing and reconciliation and lament and confession that must happen. And so oftentimes when I'm confessing, I am confessing on behalf of my brothers and my sisters um, and the whole church. Oftentimes when I'm lamenting, I'm lamenting on behalf of. And so, you know, the choice to say, um, first of all, must begin there. But secondly, I do think that it's all complete, what got to be contextualized. You know, so what Russell Moore went through is, you know, he hit his own wall. And he was released. He had a sense of release. I think that for any pastor, any leader within a denomination that is, you know, maybe has one foot in, one foot out, which I don't know about you, but I am a Nazarene pastor. And I am watching so many young Nazarene pastors with one foot in and one foot out. And sadly, so many that have um, already made the decision to leave. And so I would say that, you know, for for pastors that are in that space, one foot in, one foot out, should I stay? Should I go? Should I, you know, I think it needs to be discerned. Um, these are, you know, real relationships. Um, these are families. These are histories of, you know, being in relationship with these people. And so it's it's got to be discerned. You know, we've got to discern, you know, is there a willingness to shift and a willingness to see? Is there a willingness to change? Can I Can I survive this? Um, emotionally, because there's definitely a certain amount of emotional trauma that comes with being one of those people that just always feels like you're poking the bear and everybody, you know, doesn't like that person and it's exhausting. Um, I think coming out of 2020, we are going to begin to start to have a lot more conversations about traumatized pastors and church leaders um, because of the cost that pastors paid uh, for speaking out. And so I just, I think there's so many layers to it. I think it's hard to know like what the right decision is. Um, You know, Josh, I, my first book was emboldened, um, a vision for empowering women in ministry. And I can't tell you how many conversations that I had with women um, that said, I'm in a place that's not affirming on me. Should I stay or should I go? And my answer was the same. That's got to be discerned. Um, it's got to be contextualized. There's no easy answer. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. It, it's so hard because I was as, as I was thinking about this. If if the reaction to uh, pushback on reformation, on trying to restore the church's credibility, is if there's pushback against that, and you just say, you know what, okay, I wash my hands of it, I leave, it creates this more polarized atmosphere because the voices that were moderating and critiquing and kind of holding the extremes in check are no longer 
no longer doing that. And and yet there there has to be the understanding that you know, like like you can say you know this denomination will never be affirming of female pastors, uh, but especially if I as someone who is affirming that am not within there within that denomination speaking out. So, but yeah. also I yeah. know that no, for that's... for mental health purposes. Oh. There are sometimes people say, you know, I have I have to leave. I have to take a, a step back. And for evangelicalism, we've done that to so many people. It has its own term. We have the term exvangelical for people who have left the evangelical church. And I think that the very notion, the fact that we've the whole term has been created for it is not a good look. Um, I, you know. Is there a point where those attempts at restoration for an individual to be honest with themselves and their beliefs, is there attempts where, where those attempts at restoration have to end and you have to say, uh, okay, I, I, there are other faith traditions, there are other denominations uh, that where, where I can, I, I can still love Jesus. I can still love, love people. Uh, but they are going to be affirming of of who I am. They are going to be the, the sort of community that I think reflects uh, reflects the community of Christ better. Uh, is there a point where we just say, I have to leave this? Yeah, absolutely. I Absolutely. I mean, you know, on a very micro scale, uh, before coming to Christ Church in Oakbrook, I was a pastor of Pazmas, which is a church I still love and care about and wrote a lot about uh, in this book. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about very openly is my coming to the church, um, 600 people left. The bottom dropped out of the place because of my gender. And, you know, almost five years in, it's just the polarization was still there. My very presence created polarization. And I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, I left the church for so many reasons. You know, number one, to care for my parents um, who are sick. But also I hit a wall. It just, the fact that my presence was polarizing to that church because of my gender. Um, I realized that we were, we were going nowhere. And even for my own just emotional healing and uh, understanding my own trauma from that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At a point, you realize, even if you're the, even if you are the leader, that individuals cannot change institutions individually. You know, even even if you are the leader of the church, in that you know, I'm the lead pastor. I'm getting paid for this. You you can't drag everybody else along. Um. And, and right now, it, it doesn't appear like the evangelical church as an institution, by and large, wants to change. What, so what are some ways that we as individuals can affect change within our church, within a church that is reluctant to that change? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think, first of all, we know, like, I do think that movements are born out of the spirit of God. And the same spirit that 
you know, led about so many other great movements in our history is the same spirit that is present today. And I continue to believe in reformation and revival and restoration and healing because I believe in that same spirit of the living God. And so I don't think it's impossible. I do think that it's going to cause a great disruption. I do think that it's going to be long and a hard process. And I do think that it's going to mean an eventual pulling or, I guess, crumbling of what we know um, as white evangelicalism and a new expression, a new ship. So in the meantime, for those that are, you know, within their local churches serving, um, I would say that, you know, we can't all, you know, be out prophesying around the clock that our call is also to be faithful Christians, um, radiant Christians, righteous with God, righteous with one another, um, living out this holiness in their everyday ordinary neighborhoods, caring for the marginalized, being in proximity of the very people that we are talking about and loving and serving. And so I think recognizing that, you know, this is a slow process, um, that it's not wise to just blow it all up, um, but instead it's a slow process, and so keep on being faithful within your own context. Mm-hmm. So but this move- is coming from a pastor who has a very <laughs> different, you know, I, I am a local church pastor. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. the church. I love the local church. And so I'm always going to keep, you know, keep pointing to the boots on the ground everyday ministry. Mm-hmm. For those who are leaders of a local church, and, and they're starting to recognize ways in which their church um, has acted improperly or maybe just has acted in in silence or inaction um, as a as an organization as a the church as a as a community what are what are some easy things just to start just to get people to buy in because I, I I also I know of some pastors who are in this position of of they would love for their church to to have the sort of engage engagement and the the radiance that you talk about but the the buy-in is is difficult uh yeah yeah well for sure yeah i you know i think so it all goes back to formation for me uh so we are experiencing a formational crisis within our local churches, um, meaning like the church hasn't gotten this way on like just without formation. Formation is happening. It's just w- people have been formed into a very deformed version of what we see the church in scripture. And so it's got to, you know, for local church pastors, it's got to go back to the basic formational principles of who Jesus calls us to be. You know, so when I was pastoring at Paznaz, we launched something called the School of Faith Development because I realized that, like, I just couldn't keep, like, hitting people over the head and say, change, 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 change. But we've got to go back and we've got to understand, okay, like, let's talk about hermeneutics. Let's talk about the story of God. Let's look at the heart of God in Scripture. Let's go back to the Bible. Um, The Bible is always uh, not just a safe place to go, but the best place to go with our people and allow scripture to give people that vision rather than just hitting, you know, folks over the head. And, you know, so we launched something called the school of faith development, which was a three semester school 
um, that began with her hermeneutics and spiritual formation and then um, missions and justice. And the growth that we saw out of that, the discovery that we saw out of that was was incredible. And so it's got to start small and it's got to start slow. And I think, again, it's got to be contextual and pastors have got to discern um, within that creative work of the spirit of what shepherding a people through this looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are so many churches that are you know, ju- just now because of COVID are returning to in-person services or even if they've returned to in-person services, they're you know just now returning to their outreach elements or their full fellowship. The, the sense of normalcy is is slowly returning, and you know I think this is an opportunity. Um, this is this is both an an opportunity and it's a challenge because there are a lot of churches that like if you were going to if if you wanted to do something different in the way that you do church, now is a great time to to do that because people haven't done anything in a year. So, you know, all the old traditions are no longer in that rhythm. But I I also know, I know of a lot of people who maybe they they weren't too excited about their local church when, when everything shut down. And now a year later, their churches are reopening, but they don't really have that desire to go back to that you know, that local church anymore uh, because of how things how because of how that church handled various things in the past year um, or sometimes it's just the realization that like, you know, I didn't I didn't really miss that community after all. I thought that I would miss that community and I didn't. Um, do you have any anything for those people who are now trying to figure out where they belong in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that first of all, like I, I do believe in the commands of never giving up meeting together. And for sure there are times, you know, when, when it's time to go and for those who are feeling that sense of release and it's time to look, um, take your time, look, look and see where the churches are that are doing work in their neighborhoods that are in the margins, that are caring for the hurting, that are being leaders of reconciliation. It's really tempting to go to websites and look for churches with the best programs. Uh, And what we end up doing is we end up falling into the same trap of meeting my needs, consumerism, um, as, as this very mantra that we've all created, by the way. We've all created. And so, you know, we've got to, Look like where where are those churches that are doing that work that we care about so much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, well, well, let, let's end with this. This book came out in February, so uh, mm-hmm. I guess first of all, I appreciate you taking the time out to interview so far past the release date. Um, so we've had four months for people to sort of digest uh, what you've written. And yeah. uh, what sort of responses have you received since the book? Yeah, series? yeah, yeah. So it's been, you know, a lot of, I would say more than anything, just a lot of encouragement. A lot of people that just needed to hear from a pastor, as you said, from the inside that cares and sees these things. And so I think people felt seen in reading this. Um, and so there's definitely been positive. You know, the, the those that are struggling with the book are those that, you know, think that this is, you know, 
just a liberal agenda coming from, you know, a particular news outlet instead of scripture or, you know, and these are the people that haven't necessarily read the book, but that will, you know, look for skin for buzzwords that may, you know, upset them. Um, or those that are just tired of the critiques that have come with the church. And then there's others that just think that my view of the church is way too utopian, too hopeful. Uh, they want, they want more negativity. They want more calling out. They want more intensity. And so, um, and I'm okay with that. You know, I've always kind of lived in this odd space. It's not a centric space. It's not a middle space. I think it's what the Anabaptists often call the third way space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you uh, for your book. Um, thank you for your time. Again, the book is Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness by Tara Beth Leach, published by uh, InterVarsity Press. Uh, InterVarsity publishes great books all the time, and so this is one of them. Um, so, Tara, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. Thank you for your words of yeah, wisdom. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Thank you for having me. Blessings to you.